Many people think we're only about shoes at Doctors of Running, but that would be wrong, because we're also all about socks. We're thankful that our friends at Running Warehouse carry all of our favorite brands from Features to Belega and Swiftwick to Drymax. With fall coming, we're excited to get our long socks out for some crisp, cool days ahead. The Swiftwick Aspire 4 is a team-wide favorite. Andrea calls it one of the few compression socks she's tried that sits just right without feeling too tight. It's a sock our team has poured thousands of combined miles into blister-free. For runners looking for a good value, the Saucony Inferno Merino Wool Socks provide both warmth and super soft comfort that you'll want to keep on long after your run. For less than $25 a three-pack, it's our Content Wizard Box Best Kept Secret to Comfortable Winter Running. Find your next pair at runningwarehouse.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. We have a fun table here today. At the round table, we have Dr. David Salas, Dr. Matthew Klein, and I'm your host, Nathan Brown. We're excited to be with you all, uh, catching up, talking about life a little bit. We got a good subjective for you because of all the life changes that have been happening on our team this summer. We want to hear a little bit about that from you. And then we're going to be talking about maximal trainers um, and kind of brainstorming and working together to kind of kind of shop what's the workshop? That's the word I was looking for. We're going to workshop our definition of what a maximal trainer really is. Where does the scale get tipped into that? And then we're going to talk about the ones that would fall into that definition and the ones that are out on the market and talk about the differences between them and potential implications for the runner. Um, And we might also dip into a little bit of conversation about training in plated shoes, what we know about it, what we think about it, if there's any research out on it, we're going to dive into that as well. But let's start with our subjective question for the day. And we just want to hear from you all. How do you balance life, family, work, and running? What are the things that you do to keep those things in balance? What keeps you on a, on a healthy, sustainable track? We want to hear tips and tricks from you all or things that haven't worked. Sometimes we learn from the things that don't work just as well. So in that vein, um, Matt, we want to start with you. You just had a baby. Tell us about what this transition has been like into being a father and how, again, then bring in how that impacts your balance with running and things like that. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Isabella Zadie Klein is currently, as of this video, uh, no, 14-ish days old. Um, So I can't do math right now because I haven't slept in a while. So that's, <laughs> I should clarify, I was the one that didn't have the baby. It was my wife that had the baby, although I was there supporting her through her 45 hour uh, labor with two active uh, hour active delivery. It was quite intense. Um, but yeah, outside of the biggest thing, I think, is for those who are well seasoned parents, you know that the first several weeks you don't sleep much at all. So trying to balance that out, I'm very lucky being a professor that this happened right as the semester ended. And so I took mm. a bunch of paid time off and then I've, I've got two weeks where I can work, but I'm st- working from home and my, st- I'm starting my second year. So a lot of my content is already kind of ready. I just got to refine it. So that's made that easier, but not sleeping, having to have a little one who eats poops and does that on like on the hour, sometimes more frequently having to constitute laundry, making sure I support my wife. So I'm, you know, kind of a support staff right now because I can change diapers, but I can't really breastfeed. Um, I mean, I tried. Can't she does really not like breastfeed? That. I can't. Yeah, no, I tried. <laughs> she doesn't like that. No. I was trying to distract her. Like, hey, maybe I can fake her out. She got really mad. So I guess don't do that. Um, she also doesn't like bottles. But yeah, just the not sleeping, making sure I'm supporting my spouse um, has meant that I've had to change even from like being in the hospital for three, four days straight, modifying my running, obviously. So my wife was nice enough as she is a pro runner to go, Hey, you, I need, you know, you need to get this. So I took one day off from running and then she's like, you're a little angsty. So go run. (laughs) So it's been as someone for the last several years, who's run twice a day, most of the time it's been, yeah, I'm not really worried about my mileage. I'm just going to go out there for a run that started at five miles. And it's slowly over the last two weeks has built up to seven, eight with the occasional 10, but it's consolidating going, all right, I'm going to talk with my wife. Can't, is it okay if I go for a run? I'm going to have to keep it to like maybe somewhere from six, maybe eight. You know, it's, it kind of depends on her time. So just being very flexible is the key in going, I'm not going to get a great workout every day. Sometimes I'm just happy if I can get out the door. And it's just being flexible with that. And because ne- you never know what's going to what's gonna 
come up. And luckily, Isabella has been very healthy thus far, and we haven't had That's any great. major issues. But yeah, you never know. So yeah, yeah, and being obviously flexible. We've, yeah, we've talked to you a lot, but congratulations yeah. again on the on the new baby. That's really it's it's a pretty life changing thing. It, yeah, it really, it really is. is yeah. Rocks your yeah. world in a really cool way. So, congrats to you too. Yeah, and then the other. The other guy on here, David, got married. Um, tell us about kind of what married life has been like for you and kind of, if anything, what's changed or what hasn't changed. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been together six years now and uh, we've lived together for three. So <laughs> it's been, there hasn't been too much change, you know, as far as post-married life. Um Amber is going through the last name changing process currently. So that's a lot of things just on that plate. Um, thankfully, I don't have to do any of that. Uh, <laughs> so for me, everything's been pretty much the same, but we've been just doing our best to keep things steady, keep the stress down. You know, the last few months have been stressful and I probably wasn't wise to race so close to the wedding. I feel like you know, it's just high stress environments, you know, basically full-time training, essentially full-time working, planning the wedding, getting everything going. Like every free moment of time I was emailing vendors or, you know, just figuring things out. And so it's actually been a little bit more relaxing. I was just going to say. Yeah. Our <laughs> weekends. Yeah. Like we haven't, like, I was just talking to her about this before coming on where it's like, I mean, we have like chores and stuff to do and catch up on, but it hasn't been what it has been the last few weekends, you know, or for the last, like, honestly, months, you know, where it's just like every weekend is slammed with something and trying to balance that between the training, the working, uh, I mean, everything with doctors are running as well, right? Like we're constantly writing articles and reporting yeah. and doing things. And um, it was hilarious because I took a blood test right before and uh, my cortisol was like through the roof. So Hopefully it's a little bit lower now, um, but <laughs> just trying to be mindful. I mean, we're talking about balancing life and all of those things. And it's kind of, I kind of felt myself go over that tipping point, you know, and I had a bad race, you know, wedding was great. You know, uh, honeymoon was great. Everything went solid. Um, I took a week, a little over like a week and a half ish off of running and, and it was nice. And then, but now I got to get back on the train and ready for CIM and, kind of hop back into it and going from like almost nothing straight back into the full schedule again was a little bit of a rough transition there but we're coming around and yeah just trying to prioritize schedule make sure I'm sleeping that's probably the biggest thing is if I'm not sleeping and I keep spreading myself thin things get hard so and I think a difference yeah. for you and us is you are in a in a stage of your running journey and career that you are trying to reach very high performance goals um and get i don't know if you've said it out loud that you want a olympic uh qualifier time trial whatever i don't i don't know if you've said that out loud but like you're yeah. you're in that world where you could yeah olympic you could qualifying attain marks a little fast but otq yeah. would be nice i i yeah i think um <laughs> i think you've got that and and so that's a whole other part of you know like yeah. the running for Matt and I can be that flexibility for you with the goals that you're going for. There's a little less flexibility with what happens on the running side of things. And so that's a whole other part of your life that you have to juggle. I also have to say, I had the privilege of going out to the wedding and two takeaways. One is David is right. Santa Barbara has the best tacos. I had like the best taco <laughs> of my life there. Um, <laughs> At Florida Mays or whatever, Florida Mays. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So good. The second thing is that I hope to talk about my kids the way that David's mom talks about him. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, your man. mom is in love with you to the end. Yeah, like, you could do yeah. no wrong. And I hope that yeah. I can support my kids the way that your mom supports you. It was really sweet um to hear her like toast in front of everybody she just adores you and um we definitely need a molly shout out shout out to david's mom yes sure. yeah <laughs> i jana and i just were like that's how we want to talk about our kids yeah. you know um so we're we, that was one of our favorite parts of the the wedding day and dancing because that was obviously really fun yeah you you hit that dance floor hard <sighs> yeah nate, that, nate gets down y'all honestly Regina and i were very impressed <laughs> <laughs> jana and one of jana and my favorite things to do in in life is to go to weddings and dance together like it's our mission to like make friends on the dance floor and so like 
at your wedding, we met somebody who um, we kind of got close with by the end of the night. So we, we accomplished our goal of like just getting down with people and having a lot of fun. So dance floors are our passion for sure um, at weddings. Cool. Well, thanks you guys for updating us on your lives. Um, but let's move into the main segment of the night. So what we want to do now is we want to workshop what does it really mean for something to be categorized as a maximal trainer? And then we're going to go into details from there. But let's just start it off. What what comes to your mind when you think of max trainer? What comes to your mind? I, I think for me, I'd love to start this off because I'm, I've been thinking about this for a while. Because in the past, when we used to say max trainer, we'd be like, oh, these couple shoes that have attained the like 30, they're in the 30 millimeters for stack height. That's now like moderate, right? So to me, I think of, hey, these shoes are get are at 40 millimeters or going beyond is where my brain is going. And it's not just these very specific carbon-plated superfoam shoes. There's several, quote-unquote, inline daily trainers that have now done the same thing. So I think there's a line that's getting blurred where we used to have this separate category. And now it's like, well, the normal stuff is doing that now. So... I think it's a little challenging to go, are we defining a specific, like the carbon-plated superfoam stuff, or are we just defining this by stack height? I think we have to talk about that too. I agree with that thought because I think what ends up becoming the entity that defines something as maximal, like is it, you know, is it media companies or reviewers like right. us and other review like groups calling something maximal or is it like the couple studies that come out that say the differences between minimal and maximal footwear and like the definition of maximal in that group which would be more of that traditional trainer like like 30 millimeters so um where does that you know because that's where we look at this is the effect of a quote maximal trainer on a body the studies don't include these 40 plus yet they're including 30 like our normal training like drops and stuffs or stack heights yeah yeah david what do you got i think it can also be company dependent as well like when i take a look at what it means to be a maximum stack height shoe i almost think of it similar to how i think of the ultra marathon and an ultra can be anything from 27 miles up to 100 plus right 200 and 300 yeah two yeah 240 what is it moab is yeah (laughs) To it, but yeah, um, yeah. So, but I think of it in that way because there's some companies where they traditionally do stay a little bit lower. So, like their max cushion or max stack offering, it is their max stack offering. It just might not be 45 millimeters or something that another company offers. So, but with that said, I feel like it almost always does land right around that 40 millimeter mark. That does seem to be kind of the common number. A lot of the companies now, you just held up the Ghost Max, was at 43, right? I think. That's a good question. What was the stat? Uh, We'll go to stats and intel on that. We'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get that later. But like the Nimbus was over 40. Yeah, Um, Nimbus is, yeah. SE Trainer was over 40. Now it's at 40. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just a lot of these companies really leaning into it. Right. And that's crazy for something like the Nimbus that's been around for so long to go, all right, now the standard is above 40. We're like, well, this is a traditional daily trainer at least it was so anyway not to interrupt but yeah i agree nathan what do you think yeah i i think i think i'm torn i think that there's a level of um i think there's definitely a level of relativity here where maximal has always been a at least in like the like anybody's mind is you're not if you're not like if you're not diving into the literature maximal is defined by what you think is big so these shoes that used to be just what we see as typical now, everything sits in what was maximal 10 years ago. And so I, I think there's a lot of relativity, kind of like what, what David, what you were saying, um, with especially even within companies, Topo's maximal shoe might be different than Asics' maximal shoe. And before we had the Nimbus 25, and before we had the Super Blast, you know, did Asics have a maximal stack height shoe like because their nimbus was in the mid 30s or a little bit less even and that would have been their most cushioned shoe do they even have a max stack shoe um, we do have information from stats and intel that the ghost max stack heights are 39 in the heel 33 in the forefoot thanks stats and info stats and info is really bj or, or casper we got to think of a fun way to refer to him um anyway so I think that there is a level of relativity. I also think that there has to be um, 
because why do we care about if something is maximally stacked or not? And I think it's a combination of runner experience and what do we know about the impact on the body. And there are changes. We've we've seen a number of studies. They've kind of all shown slightly different things, but there are differences on the forces that go through the body when you do have more cushioning and versus less. And so I think it does matter on a numbers level, but numbers of stack height is not the only factor because there's also foam type and how, you know, how compliant that foam is. Once the resilience, what's your rocker? Like there's too many factors that play into the impact of a shoe on the body where max maximal cushioning is, is so many parts. There's so many moving parts. So that's just a couple of my initial thoughts. I was right about to say materials do play a huge role too in the footwear experience. So it's like, if you have a really firm foam and it's at 35, sometimes it doesn't feel that high. Yeah. And you have a really yeah. compliant foam at 35, and you think you're about to fall off the platform. So it just depends on how they build the shoe and other things as well. I was I was going to say that I feel like it, when you start getting this high, and this is actually what I'm going to talk about in our Stinson 7 review, is when you do get that high, well, not everybody does this, there are some kind of requirements to make sure this shoe works. Like you have to have a rocker if the shoe is that tall because the, the foam's not going to flex. There's been a couple of shoes... Like the the Skechers, uh, the Max Road, at least the the old one, used to be taller but have these very deep flex grooves. Um, but they don't do that anymore, and they've gotten even taller. And you get that that high, right? If you have deep flex grooves, now you're super unstable. So you kind of need that stiff rockered sole to make this work. I was going to say that seems to be a requirement, but then I realized that not everybody does that, and that can definitely make a breaker shoe because – yeah, the taller you get, that things don't really flex the same way. So you're going to have to create artificial mechanisms to get that roll forward. So you do need the rocker, but I guess not everybody does it 100% well. So that was an, a, a not completely right statement on my part. Do we think that a maximally stacked – or sorry, I shouldn't say maximally stacked. A maximally cushioned shoe, does it um, does it require softness or – I think about like I don't the, think so. I think about the shift would be an example that would be you know th- I think that's a thirty nine thirty five um, yeah. stack, but it's a firmer foam and just kind of does that fit in the maximal cushioning category? Yeah, I, would, I mean I think of like the Craft CTM Ultra as well, and yeah, like that's a, great a couple one. other shoes where it's like there's plenty of cushion underfoot. It's just not soft. I would agree. It doesn't have to be soft. I think you can still provide a high level of protection and have a uh, firmer midsole, and that happens all the time. But the regardless of this level of softness, though, you're still the leg is now it become an extended lever arm. So that is going to change how how different torques happen throughout the joints up above. It will start to shift forces up higher, but. The uh, softness, I think, is a is a different variable, or the compliance is a different variable. Yeah, and and we talked with Saucony recently, and you yeah. know the the difference in compliance is that one factor, and then how each of us strikes the ground changes right. how that form def- how the foam deforms under our foot. So if one right. of us strikes and has a very high velocity of uh, compression of the foam, that would have a different re- the foam itself would have a different reaction than if somebody more gradually compresses it, depending on your striking mechanics. Right. So then, what does compliance really mean, unless it's placed in function underneath somebody's body. But I do think there's a couple pieces that we've circled around that we do have some research towards. One of them is the impact of compliance and how soft a foam is. Um, That's kind of soft is more subjective. Compliance is more measurable, but um, kind of higher. To help people understand what we're talking about. resilience, like how much it compresses and comes back. Yes. But the ideas here um, that we've talked about, one of them being, the impact of a, of a more compliant foam on mechanics. And then the other one is um, rockers on mechanics. Those two things do have changes to our bodies and, and have been shown to change forces as well. So I think about the study that looked at maximally stacked shoes versus those who uh, those that were not. And so they were using an Adidas shoe. I can't remember. It's been too long since I've read this study, so I'm sorry that I'm butchering this. But, but they did find less... Um, impact forces in the shoe that had the cushioning in that that came through the rest of the body, which I think is which I think is an important distinction that even that shoe, which was not a forty plus, 
had the changes compared to like a 15 um, and below stack shoe. So, and, and that didn't have, a, that was a standard EVA foam. That was not some fancy peebacks, anything like that. Um, and then we also know rockers have a, have a, an impact as well, where you have shift of forces away from, you have decrease in planner forces. So then you have decreased calf demand, increased demand up at the knee and the hip. And then the other one I wanted to mention was the softer, more compliant foams lead to reflexive stiffening of the joints uh, up above. So running on something super soft, you have this reflexive stiffening in your your joints, like you're just to stabilize everything. So we know there's changes. What's the threshold at which those things happen? I don't think we know. I think that's going to be too individual, right? Like we've seen these things, but people need to realize that these are averages, right? There are going to be exceptions to these rules. Like one, a great example of this, and this hasn't really been, this is more anecdotal, but this goes to the like, we know that different people respond better to different levels of stiffness in a shoe. So the stiffer a shoe is, oftentimes the more like if you go beyond that level, your plantar flexors and a lot of your muscles are going to have to work harder to get over that shoe, right? Um, the kind of the it, it goes to the opposite where if it's too flexible, you're still going to have to work really hard to get over that thing. So it's a balance. If that rocker isn't set up correctly, we know know this from the evidence, that will create a more stiff shoe because it's the rocker, a lot of that has to be based around not only the different ankle rockers of your foot, but also where that first metatarsal phalangeal joint, that big that toe joint, it, it's got to line up. If it doesn't line up, it's going to feel really stiff. So again, it's going to be it's going to be variable depending on the person. Some people we know like softer shoes, some people we know like stiffer shoes. So I think it's, that, you're right. I don't think we're going to be able to find that that exact thing for everyone, but that goes into what we always talk about, that shoes are tools that each person's going to be totally different. There's no such thing as a best shoe for everyone. It's trying to find, hey, you got to put some work into this. You're going to have to find out what works for you, what you like, and then you can go from there, which is really hard because we're talking about like everybody likes the randomized control trials, the really big studies, but unfortunately, you only get an average of the population from that, and that's where the small case studies are really beautiful because that helps you see the more individual component of a lot of the of of experience and stuff like that. Like I'm a quantitative person; I like data. Uh, all power to Nathan, who's done some qualitative stuff that does not like. I get doing a subjective exam and like, but for like doing that as research, it still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> That's a strong like, word. Rules here. That's strong language that I've done some of that stuff. I am planning to do some of that stuff. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done nothing with qualitative research, though that is what I am learning and what I plan to do for my research. I will still but- say, oh. All power to you on that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, where are the rules? I don't understand that. It's like, oh, no, there are rules here. I'm like, where? No, yeah, it's, it's great. But I'm excited It's about equally it. important. It's equally important. So here's a case study for, you, for y'all. And yeah. tell me how you process through this. So these are not specifically trainers, but you have, let's take the, let's take an Adidas, two Adidas shoes. You have the Adidas Adi Zero Pro 3, and you have the Takumi Sen 9. Is the Takumi Sen, are they both maximally, you know, cushioned? Is only one of them maximally cushioned? They have the same foam, same plates. The big difference is going to be stack heights. Different plates. Oh, different plates. Offensive yeah. that I got that wrong. So sorry. But well, we have different rods, but different materials. Different, right? different rockers, flatter geometry, different shoes entirely. But yes, I see where you're going. <laughs> Continue. Be nice to Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good case study. No, I love, I love this. We can- <laughs> <laughs> I need you to keep me straight. How far so, do we make it before you guys start to give each other a hard time? Uh, 23 minutes. So we, got, we have those two shoes. Are they both maximally stacked? Is one of them maximally stacked? You, or are neither of them maximally stacked? What do you got? I would say they're both stacked. I would. There was, uh, there was a dude that ran like a 208 marathon in the Adidas Takumi Sen. Like... So Not does, that long ago. does running well, fast in a shoe fair. mean that it does that define it as maximally stacked then? No, w- but like oh. <laughs> people have run marathons in flat shoes, but it's 33 millimeters. We were talking about materials like that's it's 33, right? I'm pretty darn sure. 33 well, millimeters of stack of Light Strike Pro, which is already a very compliant, very soft foam. It's not rockered. It's not like the other shoes where you have this like super high up, like rounded surface with a really stiff plate that you're kind of just rolling forward the whole time. It definitely has more flex to the front of it with the rods being a little bit more flexible. 
it's definitely a flatter geometry, but it's still it's still very cushioned. I mean, I've run 15-plus mile runs in that shoe fine. Matt, what do you think? I'm going to take the opposite of this, where I will agree that the Takumi Sen, as someone who loves the Takumi Sen, has run in every single version of it, that it is far higher stack height than it was, right? Back in the day, I still have a pair of one and twos, um, which oh, wow, I that's cool. gloriously hold that's on cool, to. Yeah. Um, and had several other pairs that I did 20-mile runs in back in the day, which I don't think I could ever do again. Um, but yes, it's taller now, but I think it's not quite getting all the maximalist boxes that I would want. Whereas the Adios Pro 3, that's definitely a maximal super shoe. It's got the foam, it's got the geometry, it's got the rods, not plates, but it's still, in my mind, got a fairly stiff stiffening agent, right? So I would so, I would give that one the maximal one. The Takumi Sen, I think, relatively now, is not that full-level maximal shoe at least not it's not being advertised as such but i'd also say the the increased flexibility the more moderate stack height now i would say no but i think you could still run long distances in it but just because you could lo- run long distances and it doesn't make it maximalist or not i think it's more you there was something really interesting you said you said because of the stiffening agent it's not does it have to have a stiffening agent to be a maximal shoe no, but I think I was talking about race, like super shoes and racing flats. So, because the I question is, not, is it a maximal yeah. shoe? Yeah, maximal shoe, I'm not gonna, not a, okay, okay, that's a completely fair. race aside. Very racing very, aside. Okay, that's very fair. Then I'm going to say just because it says five k, ten k doesn't mean no. I get it, but I I yeah. would say it's not close. It is. It's taller than it used to be, but there's plenty of normal stack high daily trainers at that same level now. So I would say. Yes, it's more maximal than it was in the pre- in the in the past, but by today's standards, no, because you're not okay. getting that like forty ish. So I would right. say oh, I ahead, feel David. like it's more cushioned than say the Craft CTM. That's fair, but I thought we were talking like maximal. We're talking cushioning now, right? You can have different cushioning properties. I mean, but the Craft CTM is, a, is 40, 40. 40 millimeters thirty, right? So, like, if, if I mean, this is completely subjective, but, yeah. like, if I feel like if there's a little bit more cushioning or, like, a softer experience or just a more protective experience in the Takumi than I do in the Craft, and the Craft is a maximal shoe, why can't the Takumi be a maximal shoe? My argument would be, again, because the cushioning is subjective, somebody might have a very different uh, feel with that. So, like, someone like me, I compress the heck out of foam. So, for me, I can still feel some of the firmness, like, but there's still a little bit more, like, midsole that I can feel underneath the, um, the craft shoe. The Takumi Sen, uh, you guys know how hard I land. Like, you can hear me for, David can hear me run from Santa Barbara. He's like, oh, Matt's finally going out for his run, right? I can hear the thud. Um, but, I can, I compress that shoe, and with how much I compress it, I can still get surprisingly good ground feel. All right, I got another question Levels for you. Me. I've got another shoe to throw in here because I think right. we're we're dancing around this idea of our own experiences as defining them as maximal yeah. and other things. It's very so true. I, I think so. Another shoe. So David, this one's starting with you because you're putting Takumi Sen in it um, at 33 or 32 millimeters. What about the Ride 16? It has 35 millimeters in the heel. Is the Ride 16 a maximal trainer from Saucony? Yeah, that's a great question. I think because of the materials and the experience on foot, it isn't. It's it's a normal feel. It's a very traditional high drop training kind of feel. They've done a lot of things that have cleaned it up. It's got a nice you know transition to it. In some ways, it feels like some of those Max Stack shoes. It's having that gentle rocker. A little bit more flexibility up front, also less foam. Um, you know, they took some of the outsole out to make it a little bit more plush underfoot of the experience. But I would still say that if I compared, let's say, the Ride 16 with something like the Endorphin Pro 3, and you just took the plate out of it and just had like power MPB, that would be way, 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 way softer. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think if they have something more comparable. I got like, another. What about sh- I got another one. Ride? Well, I was going to say Triumph, which is 37 millimeters, oh, but Power Run yeah, Plus. Yeah, and the Triumph, I have it right here. Yeah, That's I would a consider good that. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's a softer phone, much more compliant, and that experience is it feels much more plush and maximal to me. Yeah, so it's think- more it's more the foam experience for you than the stack. So even if potentially if the if the Triumph or if the Ri- if the Triumph only had thirty five millimeters of stack, it still could be in your mind more of a maximal definition because of the foam experience underfoot. Could be, yeah. So the so how are we defining this then? So I'm gonna go, I see where you're going. I see that's like wait, doing. are we defining this by a certain level of stack height? Right, like it's got to be above 37 or above 40 to be considered maximalist. I know that's what we're talking. It's just thinking out loud. Going, yeah, right, exactly. You know, we did say like if it was a hard cutoff at like okay, well it has to be 40. Well, you take a lot of shoes that are 39 and 37. Out. Right. Yeah. What? There's a good number of maximalist super shoes out there that that aren't at the 40 mark. Another so. shoe that I'm not going to give the stack height on, but is the Clifton Nine a maximal, maximally cushioned trainer? I, with how everything has shifted, I kind of throw it in the normal training category now. It's what, what I don't. Yeah, what is there stack height okay. on that thing? Matt, before I give that, Matt, what's your answer on the Clifton? Uh, it's pretty low, isn't it? There's it's too like, much. I have. I, I th- I think I'm biased to say yes because I remember when that shoe came out and I was working at running stores. Well, that stores. used to be like yeah, the, the max cushion shoe. It used shoe. to be the, the maximal, maximal shoe, shoe, which which also right. like kind of goes messes with my argument almost about the Takumi Sen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. This is why yeah. this is such a fun conversation. Stir it's the hard. pot. <laughs> All right, what do you got, Matt? What's it, your answer? It. I'm I'm gonna say yes based on. All the, the features, and I'm sure you're going to tell me that it's actually like 35 millimeters. <laughs> no, it's lower, and I'm going to look like an idiot. Uh, so, so I have this looked up on Running Warehouse because we didn't get specs from Hoka. Yeah. So, Running Warehouse yeah. has the heel at 40. The Clifton Nine, Wait, really? the Clifton Nine heel, probably with really? the with with the sock liner, is at 40, and the forefoot is at 35, according to Running Warehouse. So I'm no kidding. Like my gut, my bias, and so said yes. I, now that you told I think me that, just let's <laughs> let's like let's look at from a from an experience perspective. David's yeah. answer says that a 33 millimeter shoe with you know with light strike with light strike pro, pro gets you a maximum right. cushion shoe, whereas a 40 millimeter stack doesn't, but a 39 in the shift does. So I. I think the reason I'm not trying to call you out, David, but I th- yeah, I yeah. think I think how we define this is really interesting. If we go off of our own subjective experience, what does that even mean? Like, is it just that we that it feels protective, and how much value does that have for us in terms of either you know force reduction or easier recovery because we don't have as much muscle breakdown? We don't know those actual results, and I just think it's fascinating. What we do know is that even the the shoes within that like low 30s stack have the changes biomechanically and force wise with the normal eva that we see in the in the ride 16 um you know that kind of stuff is shown to give you those benefits from what we know from the research so far so i think i don't know if i'm being clear probably not i really am but the idea of our subjective subjective experience is going to highlight the interplay of foam geometry and and stack height all together um whereas all three of those still might give us the the benefits that we know of so far um but some of these other ones are less well defined we're seeing some of the stuff come out with these new foams and kind of how that changes the breakdown of our musculature and all that kind of stuff and i think that might end up playing a bigger role in how we define maximalist in the future i just don't think we have a solid definition yet which is why we're having this conversation all right, so yeah, how would and you I will say define, with, define maximalist trainer now? Well, oh, well trainer versus shoe oh, is different, Okay, right? fine, maximal shoe, fine, maximal shoe. I would say a protective experience. Something that doesn't feel like <laughs> when you land on the ground, you feel like you have adequate cushion under your foot and you feel like it's something higher than a normal shoe would give you, I guess is what I would say. And that's probably your traditional EVA 30-ish, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I think of like a Nike Pegasus or what used to be the Asics Cumulus. That shoe has changed a lot. Or like uh, uh, like any of those. The Saucony Ride, you know, like I think of your flagship neutral shoes, yeah. 880. And obviously things have changed in the last couple of years with a lot of these designs. But when I think of like traditional shoe, that's kind of what I think. And something beyond that is kind of what I consider the max 
cushion or max category to be. And to be fair, when with the Takumi, this is also on like the lowest end possible. Like it's like category yes or no. I'm saying yes, but it could very easily go no for a lot of people. Like it's like right on the line. I feel like. And what? Okay, so David, in your in your approach to this right now, it's very individualized towards the runner's experience, knowing that pretty much every shoe is technically maximal as we know it from a research perspective right now. Most shoes are coming out as maximal shoes. So you're looking at this individual. So if any, would you say that there is a benefit to having a shoe like that for a runner and why? You're also looking I'm something pulling, up. I get this. I'm looking up. I'm on Adidas's website right now to see what they <laughs> classify as. So, wait, so can I can I throw can I throw something in here? So it sounds like what David I don't know Nathan you I, I still want to hear how you define it, but it sounds like it's a it's really not a set number, but it's a comparison to the norm. So a Saucony ride in 880, those stack heights have increased in recent years. They did not used to be that tall. Um, so, but oh, a maximal shoe is going to be whatever's higher than what it, when the average is, even if the average is moving upwards. Yeah, I, th- Am I, I think I'm misunderstanding that. No, I think that's what I think that's kind of what we've been saying. And I, for me, right now, I think that maximal as as I've defined it in my head, which has been um, shoes that lead to the the changes in mechanics and force like attenuation, mm-hmm. um, pretty much every trainer from major running companies falls into that category now. Right. So my new definition for maximal is going to be relative to everything else. So everything is maximal right now. That's not true. There are shoes that are not maximal. For the most right. part, most things are maximal as it as it relates to Topo the research SD4, changes. Yep, maximal. Yep. Like I said, not everything. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I think my biggest questions relate to show me show me the differences between shoes that have certain types of foams and the impact on our bodies, both from a um, recovery standpoint. And when I say recovery, I more mean like how much does your body break down or how much you know byproduct do you create within the same type of run with multiple shoes in the same training session. Um, and I think that goes beyond running economy. That you know, because I think there's some studies out there with that we talked about with Saucony too on the Canvara Pro versus the um, Endorphin Pro Three, but I don't know. I think that everything's maximal, but in the same way as David, it's like what's maximal is going to be relative to the to the mean, which now everything is maximal, so it's now just like more maximal, and it's it is based on experience, but we don't know really what that does and who it does it to and why we would care. That's my opinion, which is a non-opinion in some ways. Well, what if, now this could be a wild thing to say, but what if Maximal is just relative to the company's lineup? Like, what if it's like, like it's just Maximal for them, and that's their Maximal shoe, and that's okay. Versus, like, comparing their Maximal shoe to the rest of all of the other companies, it's like, well, let's say our highest offering is 35 and they tend to just have a philosophical, you know, they like to keep things a little bit lower. And then you look at a shoe that's like 47, like the SC Trainer 1. And it's like, well, it's not maximal because the SC Trainer exists. It's not maximal because the Nimbus exists or the Super Blast. Like, what if for them it is max cushion? Like, a lot of people, would you guys classify the OnCloud Monster? Would that be a max category shoe? It's an honest question. I, I haven't That's been an honest an, question. Oh, I haven't crap. been answering much of these, but again, <laughs> with my current thing, yes, pretty much everything is maximal. I would kind of yeah. I put my maximal around thirty. So I'm going to throw this out here that I think there are two categories that we are dancing around. That I think now there's a maximal category and there is a super max, and I think that's where you start getting into the uh, the SC Trainer One or the Super Blast. This is Matt's research brain talking. I, I think there are two. It has to be I categorized. You, There's no, no gray mean, area. Yeah, it has yeah, to. Yeah, I'm, give me a break. No, on I know. PhD. Keep going. But You're I good. think that there are additional <laughs> categories here. Like to, at today's world, strapping on a Clifton. Like if I go from the GT2000, which is, okay, it's taller than it used to be, but it's still in that like 30, I think it's 32 and a half, 24 and a half uh, stack height, which by today's standards, fairly moderate, if not 
I guess not slightly low, but it's more moderate, right? And it's a, I'm really enjoying this shoe. If I go from this to a Clifton, I, or like I think the probably the better example would be the Arahi, given the similarity with stability. That doesn't throw me off as much anymore, right? Just because that it's like, yeah, the Arahi is more of a maximal. It's got a little more higher stack height, but that difference isn't as big, but I would still categorize the Arahi as a maximal stack height shoe. But if I go from the GT2000 to a Prime X, that's a different story. I'm like, I am very well, oh, this comes back to subjective. I <laughs> got him. I, I qualitative re- data baby uh, yeah I, <laughs> I think that there is so much subjectivity in going back to your thought david on like a, a lineup's maximal definition i think there is some truth there but i also give the caveat of like but some things aren't maximal like if right if zero mm-hmm. came out with a max stack shoe that had I know, five right, millimeters right. of foam like thinking, that's not the same thing that's like, not going to be maximal and even no, I hear, like yeah to you know until recently like newton has been lower too right so they haven't put a lot of foam underneath till their newer stuff coming out that they're starting to change but i think i i think that there is there is some threshold that i do think that and i I need to look up that study that used that adidas shoe um but i and and then there was the other study that looked at um the type of cushioning and the difference in um higher and lower bmi and how that changed things with injury as well but i I think that there uh, Mas- is a threshold that was study, right? Yeah, that was Malzo. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a couple, there is a threshold of true, what I would consider like true maximal, but right now, because everything sits up there, there is going to be a defined maximal, which is where the, the, I think the ASICs conversation is really good because before the super blast and before the Nimbus 25, they didn't have like what, what the company would say is their maximum maximal cushion trainer. Right. Because the Nimbus wasn't that crazy different, but now it is. Like the there's a clear difference between the experience and the feel of the Nimbus twenty five and the Cumulus, where I feel like those were getting so close together over the last, you know, three or four years. So Agreed. I do think that there's some truth right now in um stratifying what's maximal related to the the company's line, which does come down to experience and feel underfoot sometimes even more than stack height because the Bondi and the Clifton are about the same, but they feel very different under underfoot as well from Hoka. So I think that there is something there, but there's and also the Bondi a true is supposed to be their max offering. Right. Right. So wait, can we go back? Let's go back a second. Yeah. Wait, okay. I have a question. Yeah. What's the question? The Adidas Addy zero SL. Where does that lie? Oh crap. So it would be again for me. It's maximal because it's going to be around that because everything's maximal. Well, not everything, but like All most right. of these trainers. But it doesn't feel like a maximal, maximally cushioned trainer today. Okay. How about I, what trad- about you I would playing? say traditional stack height. Yeah. Okay. For today's standards, what about what about the Boston twelve? Yeah, Boston twelve. I'm going to say that's more maximal. I'm going to lean that way a little bit. Again. Okay. Maximal, but I'd also say it. I would say it's pretty similar to the SL, but feels a little mm-hmm. more cushioned because of the foam type. I think. Yeah, no, screw it. I'm gonna say and maximal what, what, or Boston. Okay, and what do you feel is more cushioned, the Boston or the Takumi? I haven't ran a Takumi. I'm out. I absolve myself uh, of this opinion. I'm gonna get the Boston as far like we're talking Boston twelve, right? Boston 12. Okay, because Boston 11, 10, the slightly different They story. were very firm, yeah. They were very firm. Were... Uh, I'm going to give the Boston 12 a more cushioned ride. Okay. What if I told you that oh, the Addy Zero SL and the Boston have the same stack height? I believe it. And that the Takumi is only two millimeters off. I do think that the experience, <laughs> as you You're talked about. You're talking only Mike. about stack height, though. Mm-hmm. I know. When I think but, there's but more looking factors. at experience, right, right. Yeah, I think there's more factors that go into that. So there's more Light Strike Pro in the in the Boston 12, and I, than in the SL. There's still that little right. pod in the SL, but I think I think that gets down to what you're saying, David. Of the like, materials, the materials matter, but we don't. In my, I, I don't know. I'm excited to read more about like what do the material differences actually do. We don't know that yet as well as we just know that both the SL and the 12. Boston 12 are going to get you those similar changes from a force distribution perspective, but there might be more cool things that come from the 12 having more light strike pro or even the Takumi Sen, even though it's a little bit lower. 
Well, I'm going to throw in additional stuff in terms of geometry being really, really different between the two of those. Mm -hmm. The stiffening agent in the, which I know, David, I know you'd be like, yeah, it's also in Takumi Sen, but the level of flexibility is very different between those stiffening agents um, between that and the Boston. He's saying an S of a rocker is what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying I, to say. No, that's I'll one. let you finish, that's, but no, he's no, trying to no, that's, that's what he's saying. <laughs> that but that, I am kind of I was thinking about that earlier, right? That it's got to be a little bit more rockered um, to be maximal. But I already mentioned that that kind of gets thrown out of the window with some of the previous – like Sketchers, so, for example, when they had the Max Road. So, just but that's, that's, that's if we define the Max more. Road as a maximal well, shoe. If you have I a still think relatively I, new generation foam with 39 millimeters of stack height, 10 millimeter drop, would that, in your eyes, like not knowing anything else about the shoe, would that kind of fall in that maximal category? He said, "I think us it up. sounds careful. Like it. Tread lightly." Oh, He's setting us up. I, it, it sounds <laughs> like it, but it it depends on the other components because you only gave me drop and stack height. There are other things that I think relatively are go into new def- generation foam. I, there's other things that are going to go into that. I, think I would it's say combination prob- of factors. I would s- Okay. As, as you know me, I'm saying yes, it is maximally stacked because everything is. And then, secondly, I bet it would feel like the supermax. Supermax stacked. You said maximally stacked. You didn't say maximal. Sorry, shit. maximally cushioned. That's been we've been maximally cushioned. Yeah, 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 maximally cushioned. We've All been right, saying fine. max stack and probably wouldn't be max cushioned. And if it was the highest cushioning offering from the company, I'd say yes. G- give me it. I'd what are we talking about? Twenty nine. It's got full nitro foam. It's the Magnify 2. Now, there's not a rocker on it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is a very traditional shoe. It's a a very light, very, very light. No, I can see it, like, looking at this thing. There's a very defined rocker. (laughs) That's so gradual. Every shoe has a little rocker. I didn't say rocker was the only thing. I mean, every toe is a factor. There's no stiffening agent, and it's a relatively natural transition. I I didn't say this is a high drop. I didn't say there had to be. So here's what I want. Different. One looks like a clear ellipses, and this one looks like a normal shoe. Yeah, still want to try that. It's a good shoe. It's really nice. It's highly cushioned. So here, here's what I want to. Here's what I want to do. Puma, can you send that to me if Puma's listening? (laughs) Gosh, want to try it. But I'm throwing that in the max category, and I I really like it. But it's not like the other max category shoes. And that's the max. uh, That's the shoe that you held up, David. And I don't even think you said the name, but it's the oh magnify two, magnify two from Puma. Yeah, the Puma magnify two. It is their max cushion offering. Magnify or magnify? Magnify. Magnify is from Topo. Also a great shoe. It's a zero drop shoe. It's amazing. Um, Okay, so I want to start to wrap up this conversation. Really, this conversation has been a brainstorming session about what defines maximal cushioning what defines maximally cushioned trainer and we definitely don't have an an answer i think what we could agree upon is that we have a we have a shoe if a shoe has a certain amount of cushioning that has been found in a couple of those studies that shows changes in force attenuation that is going to and that is going to be considered a maximal shoe but now, since everything falls into that category, we don't know how, who is going to have a more cushioned experience in each, and we have to try to tease those things out. And I think we have more work to do in terms of defining them. But I think if we have like a category for maximal cushion shoe of the year, you're probably going to get something that would fall into more of a super max category, whereas like the Clifton would probably go more into like a daily trainer category. When I was thinking about the Clifton, I would think that's a daily trainer, not what's my best max stack shoe of the year or max cushion shoe of the year. So I think from there's it's it's messy and that's okay, but we do have to move forward because we only got about we got a couple <laughs> minutes left. Um, I want to revisit a conversation that we had previously about our thoughts on training and super shoes. We can't belabor this too much, uh, but I there has been a new case series that's come out about this um, that we want to touch on. It's a study that looked at five runners who had been habitually training in um, maximally stacked uh, super shoes. So they had carbon fiber plates that were curved with an S plate. Um, and they all five of these athletes had navicular stress fractures. So for those of you who don't know, the navicular bone is one of the bones in the foot. It's 
kind of at the top part of the arch. Um, and so all f- five of these athletes had been habitually training in super shoes and had uh, navicular stress fractures. The biomechanical thought behind this is that the shape of the plate and the compliance of the foam led to increased compressive forces at the top of that bone and tension at the bottom uh, because of how the navicular bone could move through that compliant foam, but how it gets stopped by some of the plate geometry. And then that led to a stress fracture. So do y'all have any other reflections on that study or thoughts on what should we think about training in carbon plated super shoes? Well, there was another study that came out recently looking at stack height changes uh, every five millimeters. It was like 30, 35, 40, 45. That's another, up, that's a whole other 50. study. Yeah. Right. No, but on one running of the economy, findings, right? Yeah. But one of the findings of that study was that the um, rate of eversion was higher in the yes. higher velocity shoes. So, eversion just meaning in closed chain. In isolation, it's your ankle and foot moving outside. But we stand and we move, and we don't do that when we're standing. Like what that looks like functionally when you're landing, it's basically a controlled pronation moment where the subtalar joint's kind of coming down like this, and it helps with shock absorption. But the rate of that collapse essentially medially was higher in those higher stack shoes as well. So that's also something to consider because you're taking these compliant foams, and it's showing that like the higher you go up, the more you're going to have and in that study, which was interesting, was that there wasn't really that much of a change in running economy, not significant enough to actually mean anything um, between those stack heights. But where I'm going with that essentially is we don't know a lot of this stuff, but some of the stuff we do know is that your foot's going to move through more of that range. Like that's just going to happen when it's more compliant. And if the mechanisms of those navicular stress fractures was impacts with the plate, well then ideally you probably shouldn't smash your navicular into a play every single day. Um, But I'm just a huge fan of variety and changing loading forces and, you know, taking care of yourself on top of that. We don't know what their sleep habits were. We don't know what their diet habits were. We don't know all of those other things that go along with it as well. But um, all of those things aside, if you load your foot the exact same way all of the time, that also isn't good. So I think just having a little bit of variety in there probably would be better. So I, I'm still not a fan of the daily training, you know, workouts, racing, like everything all in the same shoe. Um, I don't know. I just think it's too much of the same repetitive motions. Go ahead, Matt. I'm going to throw this out there. So I, I agree with David, and I'm going to quote one of Malzo's studies um, on the fact that one of the few things we know that can decrease injury risk is having a, a variety of footwear, right? You expose your body to different stresses on different days, shoes or tools, use the tool appropriately for each thing. Obviously, strength training is the other thing that's in there. Um, but, and that, I, I forgot where I was going with this. Hold on. Um, I have, <laughs> I have a newborn dad brain right now where I'm like, I had a thought and then I don't sleep. Um, I, I get that. And I can see my, my challenge. This is, this is, this is good, right? So case studies are great for starting research. You have to be very careful not to pull conclusions from them because there is such a small sample size, you know, it's great going, Hey, let's now get a large, like get a huge variety of people survey, have them go, Hey, what shoe are you training in? What interview as you had, see if we can get a little bit more correlational data, but it is correlational data at the end of the day. I will say that I think for the, let's, let's talk, I'm going to talk about the outliers and then averages. I think for the average population, average runner training in these all the time is probably not going to be the best idea. I think that you should use them as the tools they are. You should have a normal shoe, maybe have one of these like plated shoes, you know, and use them appropriately. Use them for faster runs, use them maybe for a longer run, but then get out of it so you have that variety. I do think that there are a set of outliers who cannot handle that at all and another group who that's all they can run in, right? That they need the compliance and stiffness, that interesting mix, and that might be what helps them run. Um, my great example for this, I have a bunch of – I'm still doing my study, by the way. So anybody listening, if you're over 50 <laughs> years old in Southern California, have Achilles or calf problems, please help me. I need more subjects. I need 11 <laughs> more. Please. I really want to get this done so I can spend more time with my daughter. Um, 
I there are a lot of them who are going like, yeah, basically the only thing I can I train in now are these these uh, super shoes. And I've had several people going, yeah, I want to participate in your study as a healthy person, but I can't because you said I can't use super shoes during the testing. I'm like, yeah, because I there there can be some influence on your mechanics. So I think it's a balance of going for again the average person probably don't do that, right? Probably have a variety of things so we know that decreases injury. But there are two other groups that you need to figure out if you're a part of going, are you the ones that are really sensitive to this and you need to be very careful with how much you're doing this? Or are you the the one group that that's all you can handle to be able to run? Because the last thing we want to do is tell you, don't wear this shoe when you're like, this is the only thing that allows me to do this activity. So I don't want to say it depends, but I think there's, there's, we got to be careful pulling uh, conclusions from a case study when case studies are phenomenal for going, let's look at some individuals and then let's set up what we can do with larger studies. I think I totally agree there. And our tone on this conversation from the beginning has been, we don't have enough data to actually know. From a research perspective, it took us till 2010 to actually know how minimalist footwear impacted the runner in terms of injury even though we knew it way before, you know, but right. we're starting to see the trickling of this stuff. And our tone from the beginning has been, we don't really know the impacts, but we do know that it changes stuff. When things are drastically different, it's probably not smart to jump full sail into it and to maintain some moderation. So I think we stay right. in that in that realm. As you said, we can't over generalize a case series of five people. That would be irresponsible. Um, but it does give us another touch point of things to consider when thinking about what should I be training in? What should I not be training in? Is there value there? Is there not? And I think that's where I want to learn more because you you go talk to, you know, Jeff Burns and he talks about the effects of these foams and the benefit for our running economy and our ability to handle more training for better performance because you might not have as much muscle breakdown. That's another side of the equation. And I think injuries also happen when you overtrain. But if these shoes can prevent you from overtraining, why wouldn't you want to use them? You have all these different sides of things, and it's not super clear. But I think moderation is a big, important thing. Matt, you got one more thing. I'm, Bring it up. I'm going to throw the other side of this. And I got to sh- give a shout out to Amby Burfoot, who has been so nice to reach out and communicate with me on Masters Runners. And it's been really fun to get to eat like e meet him and get to know him but he put up a recent again another small like case series case study on uh this group that compared those who train through a season using traditional racing flat like lower stack racing flats and super shoes and what they found is although the people that use the traditional flats were more sore and kind of like like definitely more sore like higher perceived muscle soreness they actually their economy improved more than the group that used the super shoes which makes sense right if you if you the more your body adapts to stress so if you have the same training between two groups it makes sense you're going to have higher adaptations if you don't get hurt and you don't overdo it in the more traditional thing Whereas what's coming with the, the super shoes is, yeah, you're right. It's allowing us to do more. So if you do more, you'll get maybe those same things. But, it, you know, I think the other thing goes the same way. It might be good if you're training in these super shoes all the time or these Maxwell shoes. It might be really good to go, hey, every once in a while, just spend a little time in something a little bit less, right? Because you you will adapt to things. If you if you stay in one thing too long, if that's all, if, you know, it's all you can do. That's a different story. But if you have the flexibility, if you adapt too far one side, all the potential risks of that you're going to be exposed to. Whereas if you go, hey, let me kind of spread stuff out a little bit, again, that that moderation and that variation I think is going to help. My great example is, is I'm really enjoying my pair, my two pairs of zeros right now where I'm going from you know running for a mile in a super minimalist shoe to then running in the Primex Strung 2 the next day, which is 50 millimeter stack height. And it's actually like – it's it's kind of pleasant. It's a little shock to the system going that variety feels good because you're like, oh, I'm using something different. I know this is kind of a going a little too long here, but I, I think I think variety <laughs> variety is key here. Unless you cannot handle that, that's a different story. But you should be looking, how do I get a variety of things? Because our bodies kind of like a little variation. It's how we adapt. Totally. Well, this has been great. This is a fun conversation. We this is our first time kind of testing out a little bit of the more brainstorming side of things instead of having a solid thing. And we got to bring you into some of our process of how we think through discussions. So I hope y'all enjoyed this. I think the last thing that I want to leave you with is 
this would be my, I think my second episode like this, but I'm now bald. Um, somebody calls it BBC, which means bald by choice. I, I am thinning and I've been thinking about going bald for a while. I finally just shaved the head. But the other subjective question is what bald person do you think I look like the most? Jana's pick is, uh, and I, I guess I didn't really know this, but she thinks it's Stanley Tucci. That's her okay, pick. Yeah. Uh, I Stanley can see Tucci. The glasses, yeah. But, yeah. but, but y'all can, uh, you don't have to answer this. That was more of a joke than anything. But thanks for joining us for these, this episode. As always, please subscribe to this. <laughs> please, <laughs> please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. That really helps this thing grow. Uh, we appreciate you following along with us. Um, and if you're on YouTube, please subscribe there as well. You can follow our other information on on YouTube and Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and pretty much anywhere that you would get socials, including Threads. So we'll see you all next time. Oh,